Well, hello, this is uh, David here again. This is our third uh, episode, edition, chapter or section of the book The uh, Crook in the Lot by Puritan Thomas Watson. Uh, We've been so encouraged uh, by the things that have been said so far. Uh, Yesterday, um, Watson showed us how whatever our crook is and whatever the immediate causes are of our trials and difficulties whatever they may be ultimately we have to allow that these things come to us from God and he gave us seven reasons why God allows a crook in our lot a crook being something which stops us from sailing through life without any difficulties whatsoever something that I don't think any of us uh, have experienced certainly not me but amongst those seven reasons for example he tells us that uh, when God sends us an affliction uh, that affliction sometimes is a means of preserving us from falling into sin and if we understand the seriousness of sin and of falling into sin then we'll understand that a crook which is sent for that purpose is a very great blessing and mercy to us from God even if it's most unpleasant to us better that than falling into sin secondly uh, a crook might be sent to us to um, keep us from sin Uh, sorry we've said that haven't we might be sent to us to bring us under conviction of a sin that we've already committed he gave the example of king david and the murder of uriah and in our case also if we have unrepented sin sometimes what we consider to be really trivial god considers very serious and when we measure things up to his word we discover that things that we write off as being of no consequence or of little consequence are a very great sin before a holy god and sometimes a crook is given to us to bring us under conviction of sin to make us consider our ways so that we might repent so that our fellowship with the lord jesus christ if we're Christians, would be restored. And sometimes a crook may be given to us simply by way of testing. God gives each Christian different gifts and abilities. He gives us different strengths and allows us, each one of us, to have different weaknesses. And what Watson told us last time was that any Christian who has any strength which comes to him from God, that strength would be tried and tested And he gives the example of the patience of Job being tested. So we've had much very helpful instruction from Thomas Watson, and what a blessing this has been. So before I read on in The Crook in the Lot by Thomas Watson, I'm just going to read a short passage of scripture which I've chosen. And I wish to read about the church in Smyrna, because it's quite possible well we have brothers and sisters in christ who are in prison today right now in different parts of the world some of them are suffering extremely exceedingly great afflictions on account of the gospel of jesus christ on account of their faith but as a christian in the west i look with increasing concern about the climate and environment that we're in and it seems to me that we are facing certain persecution And in that day, my prayer is that I and that you and I, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, would bear faithful witness 
and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm reading the section from Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8, where the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and where he speaks to us about the church in Smyrna at the time when John the Apostle was on the island of Patmos. So we read as follows, let us hear the word of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us on the day of trial and in the day of persecution and affliction to be ready, to be ready to stand firm in the gospel. We know this is not of human strength, but it comes from your throne of grace. Father, make it unthinkable to those of us who know Jesus Christ and have tasted of the good things to come and are trusting him for the salvation of our souls. Make it unthinkable for us that we should ever deny him. But even so, Lord, apart from your grace, we cannot stand. Father, help us to stand in the day of adversity. Help us to overcome by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for the remission of our sins when he died for us on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for our exceedingly great Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his love and for his mercy towards us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand more of this love as we continue to read this excellent book written by Thomas Watson. And, O oh Lord, may we learn how to, how to conduct ourselves in this dark and perplexing world in which we live. Father, I pray that you bless this reading of this book now and that it might be a blessing to each one of us. And this I ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, as I said, we have read seven reasons why God may send afflictions or crooks to us in our lot and today we're going to carry on reading and I should say when I read these books I don't like to read them in advance before I record them because I think it takes away some of the spontaneity it might improve presentation if I did but I'm learning too and um, I'm really enjoying reading this it's been so very helpful so uh, let me carry on um, so we read as follows now the use of this doctrine is threefold, one for reproof, two for consolation, and three for exhortation. Use one for reproof. And it meets with three sorts of persons as reprovable. First, the carnal and earthly who do not with awe and reverence regard the crook in their lot as of God's making. There is certainly a signature of the divine hand on it to be perceived by just observers. And that challenges an awful regard, the neglect of which forebodes destruction. Scripture quote, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. 
he shall destroy them and not build them up. End quote. And in that they are deeply guilty, who, pouring on second causes and looking no further than the unhappy instruments of the crook in their lot, overlook the first cause, as a dog snarls at the stone, but does not look to the hand that casts it. This is, in effect, to make a god of the creature, so regarding it as if it could of itself effect anything, while in the meantime it is but an instrument in the hand of God. Scripture quote, the rod of his anger, end quote, scripture quote, ordained of him for judgment, established for correction, end quote. Oh, why should men terminate their view on the instruments of the crook in their lot and so magnify their scourges? The truth is, they are for the most part rather to be pitied as having an undesirable office, which for their gratifying their own corrupt affections in making the crook in the lot of others, returns on their own head at length with a vengeance, as did, scripture quote, the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, end quote. And it is specially undesirable to be so employed in the case of such as belong to God, for rarely is the ground of the quarrel the same on the part of the instrument as on God's part, but very different. Witness Shimei's cursing David as a bloody man, meaning the blood of the house of Saul, which he was not guilty of, while God meant it of the blood of Uriah, which he could not deny. Moreover, the quarrel will be, at length, taken up between God and his people, and then their scourgers will find they had but a thankless office. Scripture quote, I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Or help forward the affliction. End quote. Says God in resentment of the heathen crooking the lot of his people, in like manner are they guilty who impute the crook in their lot to fortune or their ill luck, which in very deed is nothing but a creature of imagination framed for a blind to keep man from acknowledging the hand of God. Thus, what the Philistines doubted, they do more impiously determine saying, in effect, scripture quote, it is not his hand that smote us, it was a chance that happened to us, end quote. And, finally, those also are guilty, who in the way of giving up themselves to despise the crook in their lot, to make nothing of it, and to forget it. I question not, but one committing his case to the Lord, and looking to him for remedy in the first place, may lawfully call in the moderate use of the comforts of life for help in the second place. But as for that course so frequent and usual in this case among carnal men, if the crook of the lot really is, as indeed it is, of God's making, it must needs be a most indecent, unbecoming course to be aboard of all good men. Scripture quote, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. End quote. Tis surely a very desperate method of cure, which cannot miss of issuing in something worse than the disease, however it may palliate it for a while. Scripture quote. In that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning, and behold joy and gladness, eating flesh and drinking wine, and it was revealed in my ears, 
by the Lord of hosts, surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till you die. End quote. Secondly, the unsubmissive, whose hearts, like the troubled sea, swell and boil, fret and murmur, and cannot be at rest under the crook in their lot. This is a most sinful and dangerous course. The Apostle Jude, characterising some, Scripture quote, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, end quote, says of them, Scripture quote, these are murmurous complainers, end quote namely still complaining of their lot, which is the import of the word here used by the Holy Ghost. For, since the crook in their lot, which their unsubdued spirits can by no means submit to, is of God's making, this their practice must needs be a fighting against God. And these, their complainings and murmurings, are indeed against him, whatever face they put on them. Thus, when the Israelites murmur against Moses, God charges them with murmuring against himself. Scripture quote, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmured against me? End quote. Ah, may not he who made and fashioned us without our advice be allowed to make our lot too without asking our mind? but we must rise up against him on account of the crook made in it. What does this speak? But that the proud creature cannot endure God's work, nor bear what he has done? Question mark. And how black and dangerous is the temper of spirit? How is it possible to miss of being broken to pieces in such a course? Scripture quote, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him, who has hardened himself against him and has prospered. End quote. I'm going to read that uh, scripture text again because I think I read it very poorly. So, scripture quote, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and has prospered? End quote. Thirdly, the careless and unfruitful who do not set themselves dutifully to comply with the design of the crook in their lot. God and nature do nothing in vain. Since he makes the crook, there is, doubtless, a becoming design in it, which we are obliged in duty to fall in with, according to that. Scripture quote. Hear the rod. End quote. And indeed, if one did not shut his own eyes, but is willing to understand, he may easily perceive the general design of it to be to wean him from this world and move him to seek and take up his heart's rest in God. And nature and the circumstances of the crook itself being duly considered, it will not be very hard make to a more particular discovery of the design of it. But alas... The careless sinner, sunk in spiritual sloth and stupidity, is in no concern to discover the design of providence in the crook. So he cannot fall in with it, but remains unfruitful, and all the pains taken on him by the great husbandman in that dispensation are lost. Scripture quote, They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. End quote groaning under the pressure of the crook itself, 
and weight of the hand of the instrument of it. Scripture quote, But none said, What is God, my maker? End quote. They look not, they turn not to God. Use to, for consolation, it speaks comfort to the afflicted children of God. Whatever is the crook in your lot, it is of God's making, and therefore you may look upon it kindly. Since it is your Father who has made it for you, question not, but there is a favourable design in it towards you. A discreet child welcomes his father's rod, knowing that, being a father, he seeks his benefit in this way. And shall not God's children welcome the crook in their lot, as designed by their father, who cannot mistake his measures, to work for their good according to the promise? The truth is, the crook in the lot of a believer, how painful it proves, is a part of the discipline of the covenant, the nurture secured to Christ's children by the promise of the Father. Scripture quote, If his children forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, then I will visit, <coughs> I will visit their transgressions with the rod. End quote. Furthermore, all who are disposed to betake themselves to God under the crook in their lot may take comfort in this. Let them know that there is no crook in their lot, but they may be made straight. For God made it, surely then he can mend it. He himself can make straight what he has made crooked, though none other can. There is nothing too hard for him to do. Scripture quote, he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes. He makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. End quote. Do not say that your crook has been of so long continuance that it will never mend. Put it in the hand of God who made it, that he may mend it and wait on him. And if it is for your good that it should be mended, it shall be mended for, Scripture quote, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Use 3. For exhortation. Since the crook in the lot is of God's making, then eyeing the hand of God in yours, be reconciled to it and submit under it whatever it is, Submit under it whatever it is. My my comment maybe maybe it's illness or or poverty or some catastrophe that happens to a relative. But submit under it whatever it is. What a challenge! What an opportunity to learn more about the Lord. I carry on. I say, eyeing the hand of God in it. For otherwise your submission, under the crook in your lot, cannot be a Christian submission acceptable to God, having no reference to him as your party in the matter. Object 1. But some will say, the crook, objection 1 shall we say, but some will say, the crook in my lot is from the hand of the creature, and such a one too as I, deserted, I deserve no such treatment from. Answer. 
From what has been already said, it appears that, although the crook in your lot is indeed immediately from the creature's hand, yet it is immediately from the hand of God, being nothing of the kind, that kind, no penal evil, but the Lord has done it. Therefore, without all peradventure, God himself is the principal party, whoever is the less principal. And although you have not deserved your crook at the hand of the instrument which he makes use of for your correction, you certainly deserve it at his hand. And he may make use of what instrument he will in the matter, or may do it immediately by himself, even as seems good in his sight. Objection 2. But the crook in my lot might quickly be evened if the instrument or instruments of it pleased. Only there is no dealing with them so as to convince them of their fault in making it. Answer 2. If it is so, be sure God's time is not as yet come that the clock should be made even. For if it were come, though they stand now like an impregnable fort, they would give way like a sandy bank under one's foot. Scripture quote, They would bow down to you with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. End quote. Meanwhile, that state of the matter is so far from justifying one's not eyeing the hand of God in the crook, in the lot, that it makes a peace trial in which his hand very eminently appears, namely that men should be signally, signally injurious and burdensome to others, yet by no means susceptible of conviction. This was the trial of the church from her adversities. Scripture quote, All that found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, We do not offend, because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice. End quote. They were very abusive, and gave her barbarous usage, yet would they own no fault in the matter. How could they ward off the conviction? Were they verily blameless in their devouring of the Lord's straying sheep? No, surely they were not. Did they look on themselves as ministers of the divine justice against her? her? No, they did not. Some, indeed, would make a question here, how the adversaries of the church could celebrate her God as the habitation of justice. But the original pointing of the text being retained, it appears that there is no ground at all for this question here, and with all the whole matter is set in a clear light. Scripture quote, all that found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, We do not offend, because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice. End quote. These last are not the words of the adversaries, but the words of the prophet, showing how it came to pass that the adversaries devoured the Lord's sheep as they lighted on them, and withal stood to the defence of it. When they had done, far from acknowledging any wrong, the matter when they had done, far from acknowledging any wrong, the matter lay here, the sheep had sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, and, as a just punishment of this from his hand, they could have no justice at the hand of their adversaries. Wherefore, laying aside these frivolous pretenses, and eyeing the hand of God as that which has bowed their lot in that part, and keeps it in the bow, bow be reconciled to it, be reconciled to and submit under the crook, whatever it is, saying from the heart, Scripture quote, Truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. End quote. And to move you to this, consider, 1. 
It is a duty you owe to God as your sovereign Lord and benefactor. His sovereignty challenges our submission, and it can in no case be meanness of spirit to submit to the crook which his hand has made in our lot and to go quietly under the yoke that he has laid on. But it is really madness for the potsherds of the earth by their turbulent and refractory carriage under it to strive with their maker and his beneficence to us. Ill-deserving creatures may well stop our mouth from complaining of his making a crook in our lot who would have done us no wrong had he made the whole of it crooked. Scripture quote, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? End quote. 2. It is an unalterable statute for the time of this life that nobody shall want a crook in their lot, for, Scripture quote, Man is born unto trouble, as the sparks fly upward, end quote. and those who are designed for heaven are in a special manner assured of a crook in theirs. Scripture quote, that in the world they shall have tribulation, end quote. for by means of it the Lord makes them suitable for heaven. And how can you imagine that you shall be exempted from the common lot of mankind? Scripture quote, Shall the rock be removed out of his place for you? End quote. And since God makes the crooks in men's lot according to the different exigency of their cases, you may be sure that yours is necessary for you. 3. A crook in the lot which one can by no means submit to makes a condition of all things the likest to that in hell. For there a yoke which the wretched sufferers can neither bear nor shake off is wreathed about their necks there the almighty arm draws against them and they against it there they are ever suffering and ever sinning still in the furnace but their dross not consumed nor they purified even such is the case of those who now cannot submit to the crook in their lot four Great is the loss by not submitting to it. The crook in the lot, rightly improved, has turned to the best account and made the best time to some that ever they had all their life long. As the psalmist from his own experience testifies, Scripture quote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. End quote. There are many now in heaven who are blessing God for the crook they had in their lot here. What a sad thing must it be to lose this teeth wind for Emmanuel's land. But if the crook in your lot does you no good, be sure it will not miss doing you great damage. It will greatly increase your guilt and aggravate your condemnation, while it shall forever cut you to the heart to think of the pains taken by means of the crook in the lot to wean you from the world and bring you to God, but all in vain. Take heed, therefore, how you manage it. There's a scripture quote. Lest you mourn at the last and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. End quote. Proposition 2. 
what God sees suitable to mar, we shall not be able to mend in our lot. What crook God makes in our lot, we shall not be able to even. We shall, one, show God's marring and making a crook in one's lot as he sees fitting. Two, we shall consider men's attempting to mend or even that crook in their lot. Three, in what sense it is to be understood that we shall not be able to mend or even the crook in our lot. Four, render some reasons of the point. Now, it does seem to me, actually, that we've had some very good teaching there and that what we're talking about here would be better for our next um, episode. So I'm going to leave it there. And thank God for this. One of the hardest things I think I've found over the years as a Christian is accepting all kinds of trials and difficulties as coming from God and accepting them patiently and peacefully. And essentially what Thomas Watson is showing us here quite plainly is that we are the losers when we don't take these things to God. I know that each of us has different trials to bear, some of them very, very, very severe and uh, distressing. But in all of these things we should seek the Lord one of the things I learned early on as a Christian was that there are two sorts of people when trials come. There are those who flee from the Lord, who take trials as a reason to uh, say that God doesn't love them or care for them or isn't interested in them. And there are those who flee to the Lord when trials come. And I learned that early on in my Christian life by reading the biography of Hudson Taylor. And I saw a man who faced unimaginable trials and difficulties and sorrows in his service of the Lord. And I saw how whenever these trials came, he always fled to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, may that be what we do when we have trials, be it ill health, be it, um, be it persecution, whatever it may be, may we flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I always think it's a terrible thing when somebody uses um, trials as an excuse for um, rejecting the faith no, he afflicts us in love and in mercy. And um, the right thing to do, as Watson has so <clears throat> beautifully brought out here, is always to cast ourselves on God, to recognise his hand, and if we don't understand it, to submit ourselves under that hand. Now, again, I can only say this has been one of the hardest lessons I've been learning in my Christian life. But Watson's case is unanswerable if we choose to disagree with him. Anyway, may God make this a rich blessing to us all. Thank you for listening. Amen.